good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church of Fairdale. We are glad that you are here this morning. We look forward to worshiping God gathered together. If you would, turn in the Bible to Psalm 29. Psalm 29 for our call to worship. We will allow the Word of God to call us to worship this morning as we do when we are here together. And that is Psalm 29. We're here to worship Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave, and now reigns. He is king over everything, and it is good and right for us to put our attention toward that. While you're turning to Psalm 29, I want to remind you that when you come in to please grab a bulletin so you can be caught up on all that is going on. This Wednesday night is the last Wednesday night of the month of June. And we will not be having church. We will be having an outside fellowship dinner again. Wednesday night from 6 to 8, we will have an ice cream truck here. Uh, we will feed everybody outside and hang out and play games and have a good time. That is there in the bulletin as well. All right? Okay, Psalm 29 for a call to worship. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Join me in prayer. Father in heaven, this morning we come and worship you, and we are happy to be gathered together. God, another week has brought us through this life full of ups and downs and hardship and questions and doubt, and yet here we are being reminded this morning of the Lord's voice, that you are big and strong and powerful, and that you have a message for us. You have spoken through your word, and we come to hear from you, God. God, we pray that you would bless this service today, that you indeed would be worshipped. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who through him there is forgiveness of all of our sins. Father, lead us in worship now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Would you stand and sing with us? To my heart to sing thy praise, 
Would you return to your seats as we continue in song? Till I met you 
Through the storm. 
Testament reading this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 through 11. It says this, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For we see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. Let's pray. God, you are good, you are holy, you are perfect, and we are sinful. And God, we pray that 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 problem, that difficulty for us, it should grieve us. But God, we pray that it produces a godly grief that leads to repentance not the worldly grief that leads to death. God, produce in us repentance to turn from sin and faith to cling to Jesus who made a one-time sacrifice for all that we may be made right with a holy God. God, we love you. We pray that as we continue to worship that we would glorify you in all that we do. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand as we continue to sing? Grace the sure steady anchor in the fury of the storm. When the winds of doubt blow through me, when my sails have all been torn in the suffering and the sorrow when my sinking hopes are filled i will hold fast to the anchor it shall never be Christ the sure and steady anchor, while the tempest rages on, when temptation claims the
Let's pray for our offering. Father in heaven, thank you for another Sunday that you've given us to come together as a body of believers here in Fairdale. Thank you that we get to join together in song and worship and sing praises to your name, Lord. And as we now start our offering, we ask that we would give with cheerful hearts, Lord, that we would recognize all the many blessings that you have given us and we would give back to you. Let us do so now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for that. During our pastoral prayer time today, we are going to spend a time of prayer of repentance. I haven't done that in quite some time. And the sermon today is on repenting. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning acknowledging that you are God and we are not. You are big, bigger than us. You are good, better than us. You are altogether true and lovely and holy. And God, we admit and confess here this morning that we are not like that and we are not on your level and that we have sinned. We have done things, God, that we are not proud of. We have done things, God, that are 
against you. Transgressions, rebellion, disobedience, we have sinned. And Father, we admit here today that those things are not good and not honoring to you. We also acknowledge that those things have consequences and a ripple effect and hurt people and hurt ourselves. Father, we also acknowledge here today, as we've understood, understood from your word, your truth, that the reason why we do those things, Father, is not merely because we make mistakes or bad decisions, it is because at the very depth of us, on the inside of us, with heart and mind, we are sinners. We are not just those that do sin, we are those that want to do sin, like to do sin, and enjoy sinning. And for this, God, we are wrong. And we confess our sinfulness, and we repent. God, we turn to you. Father, we ask that you would have mercy upon us and show grace toward us and forgive us of our sins. And we thank you, dear God. We thank you that in your grand message, you have told us and shown us that even though we are wrong and sinful, that you love us and you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And that in him, we can be forgiven. We worship you for that, dear God. And we pray that you, by the power of your spirit working in us, that we would always maintain a posture and a character of repentance. That we would always know that life is about you and we would always know that life is not about us and that we would always know that we must be turning back, repenting, turning away from our sin and self and turning to you. Oh God, by your grace and favor and by your kindness, lead us to repent. And as often as we sin, lead us to repent. And in the ways where it is very obvious that we're sinning, lead us to repent. And in the ways that we cannot recognize, God, help us to see it. Convict us of that. Grieve us into repenting. And Father, may we recognize it as good, loving, and gracious from you. For life is found there in repentance. Hope and forgiveness are found there in repentance. Salvation and eternal life are found there in repentance as we repent from sin and turn to you and your salvation through Christ. Father, make us a repentant church. For your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would please turn the Bible to Job chapter 42, the final chapter in the book of Job. This is not quite our final message from the book of Job, but we are to the final chapter. And as that prayer showed, and as the bulletin shows you, this message today is about repentance. It's about Job's repentance. 
Before we started Job, you were probably familiar with the patience of Job or the suffering of Job. But did you know of the repentance of Job? As we teach here often and regularly and consistently, as we teach here from the very first meeting of our new members class to the last meeting of our new members class, you cannot be saved and be in a right relationship with God without repentance. Repentance is a turn. It is turning away from something and turning to something else. It is turning, changing, changing directions. It is turning from sin and turning to God. And so one must recognize that God is good and holy and that people are wrong and sinful and that that's a problem. But the answer to that problem is not found in us. It is found outside of us. If you have not heard that before, then please, please listen here today. The answer to all of your problems is not found inside of you. It is not. I'm gonna talk about this a little bit later, but there are some ways where we are the exact opposite. I mean, polar opposites from the worldly wisdom that we hear in the world. The answer is not in you. The answer cannot be found in you. The answer to our sin problem before a good and perfect God is found outside of us, and the answer is in Christ, the Son of God, who came and died on the cross for us, who became our sin, who never sinned, who modeled what goodness and obedience and holiness is like in the way he lived his life and never sinned. And yet then he was crucified, killed unjustly. He should not have died. But it was the plan of God since the beginning of time to kill his son Jesus in our place. Truly a sacrifice for you and I, a sacrifice for sins. Jesus is the answer to our sin problem. But knowing that he is the answer will not give you eternal life. It will not save your soul. You must respond to the work of Christ on the cross with faith and repentance. You must believe. You must turn away from whatever you're into and turn to him. You must turn away from sin and the direction your life is going and turn toward forgiveness in Christ. Repentance is essential to salvation. If we will not repent of our sins, admit our sins, confess our sins, admit our wrongs, admit that we're wrong, declare that we're wrong, say what we are wrong about, and then turn away from it to the salvation that is in Christ, we will not be saved. No matter how much you are involved with church, no matter how much you read your Bible, know your Bible, no matter how much good you do in the world, no matter how good of a person you think you are, if you are not repenting of your sin and turning to Christ, you will not be saved. And that is why Jesus himself says that there are two roads. One road is broad, wide, so many people on it, and it leads to destruction. It leads to hell. It leads to the judgment of God without mercy. And that road is filled with many a people that have gone to church, been married in churches, 
been baptized, all that, but never repented of their sins. But there's another road which Jesus describes as skinny or thin or narrow. It's the straight and narrow. And it leads to eternal life. It leads to heaven. But that road is not filled with good people. Matter of fact, it's filled with the worst. But that road is filled with people going to heaven who will admit all day long their sins and they are repenting of them. There ought to be no pride there. There ought to be broken and contrite hearts there repenting of their sins. A continual repentance, if you will. A constant turning away from ourselves and sin and the sin in our lives and our waywardness and turning to Christ. Repentance is required for salvation. If you are here today and you have got a lot of spiritual life in you, but you do not repent of your sins, please listen. If you're here today and you've been at this for quite some time, and you remembered one time before that you repented, but it's been a while since you have carried the posture of brokenness and conviction and the need for forgiveness. It's been a while since you've repented. Please listen. Today's passage is about Job repenting. And I've gotta be honest, I mentioned this on Wednesday night as kind of a commercial or ad or preview for this morning. Job repenting? What does Job need to repent of? What has he done wrong? That's kind of how most people feel when we read this. Don't many people feel sorry for Job? Haven't we been feeling sorry for him for so long? I mean, he was a good guy. You've probably allowed those such dangerous words to come out of your mouth. He didn't deserve that. We love to say that, don't we? We say that about ourselves. Man, we say that about our kids all the time, man. We think our kids deserve everything. They don't deserve that. What, what do you deserve and why do you think you deserve it? How'd you come to that conclusion? We've probably felt sorry for Job in his suffering and no doubt, feeling sorry for someone is a good thing. Compassion and mercy, even hospitality and sensitivity. But we must be careful in how we instruct people in their suffering. It is one thing to acknowledge that somebody is hurting, but it's another thing to know how to help them and comfort them. When you make a bad decision in your suffering because you feel sorry for yourself, you create another bad situation. In essence, another type of suffering. Turning to sin for comfort, which is also common in our day, is it not? Justified sinning because we deserve it, because of how hard our lives have been. You don't know what I've been through, so now I'm permitting myself to do things I ought not to do. Turning to sin for comfort does not bring true lasting comfort. It will eventually lead to more suffering. 
And so we ask ourselves here at the last chapter of Job, what did Job do wrong? If he repents here in the end of this book and this most fascinating story, what is he repenting from? What does Job need to repent from? And this is why this is such a good study for us. It's been good for us as we've thought through the sovereignty of God and the suffering in this world and how just quite honestly, life is not fair. But here we are looking at why we should repent. Read with me, if you will, at Job 42, the first six verses. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. What an ending. What an ending. What a statement. What a man Job is. What a hero Job is in the faith. Certainly not exemplary in every single category. Absolutely not our savior but a hero in many sorts. A repentant believer in God through it all. Hallelujah. God is the God of salvation. I want us to look at his repentance here and give you three points about repentance. We'll see it in Job's and it will automatically apply to us. Number one, repentance recognizes God as right. Repentance recognizes God as right. I've already said that repenting is a turning. It is a turning away from and a turning to something, okay? And so repentance recognizes, okay, so why do we repent? How are we able to repent? And what's going on in our repenting? Well, it is at first, number one, recognizing that God is right. All sorts of people make changes in their lives. That's not necessarily a faithful repentance. We're not talking turning over another leaf or a New Year's resolution or a goal for the summertime. We're not talking that. We're talking turning to God because we have now seen or come to see or understood or heard and believed. We have embraced, trusted that God is right. 
He is the maker that made us. He is the Lord that controls all things. He is the Savior that offers forgiveness. He is what life is all about. He's the one worthy of our worship. He is the one who has commanded us that the greatest commandment of all is to love God. And we come to realize I should be loving God. He is the one who has taught us that we ought to obey God. And from loving God, we want to obey God. And when we come to recognize that that is right and good, then we are in the right faith or position to be repentant. We recognize God as right. We believe him. We trust him. We see him. How he ought, how he ought to be seen. Notice in these first few verses of chapter 42 how all of a sudden Job is so God-centered. If you've never heard the term God-centered before, we often use this term as kind of a, a contrasting with man-centered or self-centered, if you will. It's one of the most helpful ways for you to categorize how you think and see life, but, but also spiritual life. God-centered or man-centered? When we sing songs that Andrew leads us in, are these songs God-centered or man-centered? Are they more centered on God or are they more centered on us? When we have programs here and what we're trying to do in the church, whether it be kids or whether it be adults or whatever, are they more God-centered or man-centered? When we start talking about budgets and spending money and being good stewards of the faithful giving that we're trying to handle here, is it God-centered or man-centered? This is a great way for you to think about everything. God-centered or man-centered. Notice how incredibly God-centered Job has become here in the end. Look what he says in verse two. I know that you, God, can do all things. He is now focused on God's ability to do things. He had been wrestling with that. He had been questioning that. He had been doubting that, but not here in the end. I know that you can do all things. Look at the next line. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. What God purposes, God does. God sits in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He reigns. There isn't a sparrow that chirps or a lily that looks beautiful or a hair on your head that is not wonderfully, masterfully, divinely taken care of by God. Maybe Job had forgotten that, but not here at chapter four of two. In his repentance, he is recognizing how totally, absolutely right God is. Jump down to verse five. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. There is clarity here. There is transparency here. There is um, a clear view of God in Job's life. Now, here's the thing. This is not, as, as we often uh, see, 
a massive conversion story. You often hear Saul's Damascus Road story in the book of Acts. This is not that some wayward, lost, ungodly person has now found faith and his eyes have opened up. See, I think often you only think of repentance when somebody's getting saved. But the book of Job is helping us so much that Job, by God's explanation or, or labeling, was the most righteous man on earth before this had happened. Job's not getting saved here. Job's been saved. But he's still repenting because he had lost his sight somewhat. Not necessarily lost his sight altogether, but lost his ability to see God rightly. What happens in repentance is he comes back to seeing God rightly. Now my eyes see you. It's not blurry, it's not cloudy. And so what we learn from Job is what happens to us all the time. Job's life got busy, it got complicated, it got messy, it got painful. And so all of a sudden, his ability to see God beautifully went away somewhat. And men and women, church, that's exactly what we're like. There are times when we're dialed in. There are times when we are up early on our knees. There are times when we're reading devotionals and reading Bibles and listening to songs that inspire us in the car. And then there are other times where we are so stressed that we can't see anything. Man, it looks like we got mud all over our glasses and we can hardly see. And Job admits that the suffering and tragedy that he experienced muddied the water so much, made his lenses dirty, that he stopped seeing God rightly. Now, verse five says, now my eyes see you. Repentance recognizes God as right. Notice how God-centered Job is now. Folks, I want to encourage you this morning that God should have a bigger place in your life. God should be everything to you. He should be in your mornings and your evenings, your comings and your goings. He should walk with you and you should walk with him. If we are recognizing that God is completely altogether right and good and that he does deserve a bigger place in our life, and a lordship place in our life, the answer is to repent. We should bow our heads now at the conclusion of this service, maybe even bow our hearts right now as I am speaking and cry out to God, God, I see you clearly right now. I want you to be big in my life as you deserve to be. I want you to be impacting every area of my life as you deserve to be. This is the first step of repentance that we see with Job. He recognizes God as right. But not only does he see God as right, which all repentance must do, he didn't take a turn on the journey of life to better decisions or better surroundings. He took a turn in the journey of life to turn back to God. Secondly, repentance recognizes us as wrong. 
in recognizing that God is right, we also recognize that we are wrong. Notice how me-centered Job had become. I know I haven't done anything wrong. I know that I'm not guilty. God, let me speak to you. I would love to explain my case, right? And for 30-some chapters, we've got Job saying, it can't be this, and it can't be this, and I know I've done this, I know, and, and he's talking all about himself. His friends come in, they're talking all about him. And yes, God is in view, but remember, they weren't even using the covenant name of God in those chapters. We don't get to that till we get back to here. In a real sense, his spiritual life, listen to me, his spiritual life, not his, not his worldly life, not his rebellious life, his spiritual life had become me-centered. And I'm not trying to step on toes this morning. That is exactly what happens to church people all the time. Oh, we're Christian, all right, but it's all about me. I'm spiritual, all right, but it's all about me. And just like that, I can cop an attitude I see Christians like this all the time. The posture of, no, you didn't. Nobody talks to me like that. I'm just not gonna deal with it. I'm sick of it. I'm over it, right? All of a sudden, we think we are God. Job didn't get that sinful as we like to get. Job certainly had become less God-centered and more me-centered. But in his repenting, he comes back to being God-centered. In seeing God is right, it allowed him to see that he is wrong. And this becomes biblical Christianity. And I'm glad that you come to church on Sunday mornings and allow yourself to listen to such long sermons. The other night at the dinner table, somebody mentioned that the entire church service at another church lasted an hour. The entire service, songs, prayers, offerings, everything. To which my oldest spoke up and said, I think dad preaches for an hour. <laughs> but I'm glad that you all come where we can see biblical Christianity, the Bible showing us that when we see God rightly, it allows us to see ourselves rightly. There is, listen to me, no lens in the world to help you find yourself like the lens of scripture. If you want to get at who you are, if you want to know yourself, know God. He will expose the good in you, the bad in you, the hidden in you, the deceptive in you, the wayward, rebellious, the prideful in you. He will help you see that you are wrong. As Job repents, as it says he does in verse six, he recognizes God is right and he recognizes himself as wrong. God's intense response through chapters 38, 39, 40, and 41, his intense response, that masterful interrogation that God gives Job revealed so very much that Job does not know or understand as much as he would like or as much as he thought. 
There are truly countless bits and pieces of life that God is working in and we do not know or understand him. When God hits Job back and says, hey, brace yourself like a man, gird up your loins, you listen to me, I'll do the talking, you answer all these questions I have for you, God shows Job how right God is, how wrong Job is, how big God is, how small Job is, and it allows Job, it allows Job in God's kindness and grace, it allows Job to see where he is wrong. Commentator Derek Thomas says this about this very thing. Job now concedes that he is in no position to question God's plan for the universe since he was in no position to fully understand it. Verse 3 says, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Job is admitting here that he was wrong. He was talking about things he didn't know what he was talking about. Oh, that you and I would learn to stop talking about things that we don't know what we're talking about in church or outside of church. Be an expert at something, but for the things you're not an expert at, stop giving your opinion on it. Stirring the pot, keeping the propaganda going. Stop. And if it's God or faith or sin and you don't know what you're talking about, then you're wrong. And God graciously allows Job to see that he's wrong. Job, the most righteous man on earth, truly better than all of us and truly better than all of us combined. He was such a good guy who feared God, who was a sinner saved by God. Says here in his repentance, I am wrong. And I was talking about things I did not understand. I was talking about things that I do not know. We need to be like that. Thomas goes on and says, if Job's suffering had made no sense to him, it had made sense to God. Will that comfort you today? There are areas of your life that do not make sense to you, but they make perfect sense to God. He's in charge of them. Even if God, I'm still reading from Thomas's comment, even if God had chosen not to disclose that information to Job, to demand an answer to the problem of suffering was, Job admits, to trespass into an area that was beyond his understanding. Job's response had been one, had been one of rebellion against the sovereignty of God, a rebellion he, which he now conceives to have been sheer folly, wrong, sinful. When we don't believe that God is sovereign and he knows what he's doing with our lives, we trespass into the area of saying God is not good and big and we are in that place. We make ourselves like God and that is what's wrong. Thomas goes on and says, this is something he now bitterly regrets. He repents of his arrogance in impugning God's justice. He repents of the attitude whereby he simply demands an answer as if such were owed him. He repents of not having known God better. Such is Job's awareness of his wrongdoing that he despises himself. Look at verse six. Job 42 verse six. Therefore, I despise myself and repent. 
the dust and ashes is just the prophet, kind of the proper ancient Near Eastern way of showing that you're repenting. I despise myself and repent. I want to ask you here this morning, let's be honest. In a good, healthy way, for the sake of Jesus Christ's glory in your life, by the love of God, when was the last time you repented despising yourself? Or did the worldly wisdom or the self-centered spiritual Christianity tell you to look in the mirror and pump yourself up by how you're not that bad, of how good you are? Notice that this fine person and example, Job, despises himself and is repenting. You see what I mean when I started at the beginning and I said, we feel sorry for him and what should he do? If I had asked before we had ever gotten to the end of the book of Job, what does Job need to do? What would you say? And we let all the spiritual mothers and fathers speak. Would any of you had said, he needs to repent? We've gotten soft in lots of ways. We've gotten soft when it comes to what God wants us to know that will be good for us. Stick with me. Recognizing us as wrong is a good thing. Now please follow along, pay attention. Recognizing us as wrong is a good thing. And this is one of the places, and there are many, this is one of the places where secular thinking or worldly wisdom disagrees with us. I mean, totally disagrees with us. Worldly wisdom thinks that calling things bad or wrong or sin is not good and it is damaging to us. That is wrong. The Bible teaches the opposite. The Bible teaches that what is good for you is to know where you are wrong, be told that you are wrong, be instructed that that is wrong, and you need to change from it. You need to repent of it. And the Bible also teaches that that should not beat you down or cause you to have a low self-esteem or cause you to be depressed or cause you to wrongly hate yourself. It should lead you to that which is good for you, healthy, loving, that will build you up, that will give you esteem, that will build you confidence because it is the love of God that should be our identity. The Bible wants us to understand that in order to find yourself, you must lose yourself. That in order to get on the right path, you must say, hey, I'm on the wrong path. In order to get the right way, we must realize we're the wrong way. In order to be the right person, we must admit that we're the wrong person. In order to be a good person, if there even is such a thing, that we must admit that we have been a bad person. And yet you and I know of so many Christians that will never ever admit that they are bad, that they are wrong, that it's sin, that they're in trouble, that God doesn't like it, and so they never repent. You are not going to repent and turn to God that's good if you haven't recognized that you're wrong. 
You don't need to get found if you're not lost. You don't need to ask for directions if you're gonna figure it out. And so we see how wayward we get with repentance because we won't believe that God's right and we're wrong. Job clearly recognizes God's right, I'm wrong. He says himself, the best man on earth ever other than Jesus, I despise myself and repent. If Job needs to repent, you and I need to repent. But I wanna show you this even more accurately, so stick with me. Turn in the New Testament to 2 Corinthians chapter seven. This is the passage that Garth read a little bit earlier. And I'm gonna show you this just completely played out in a New Testament context, in a church, in a letter, written from the apostle, all centered around the, all centered around the salvation of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter seven. All right, it's 2 Corinthians chapter seven, okay? So this is the apostle Paul, one of Jesus' 12 apostles, all right? The apostle Paul writing a letter to the church in Corinth to teach the church how to be. That's what this is. Look at verse eight, starting at verse eight. 2 Corinthians 7, eight. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, now pay attention, but because you were grieved into repenting. He is rejoicing that they are experiencing grief in their sin because that grief has caused them to repent. Keep going. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Does everybody see that? Some of y'all have never seen that before. When somebody tells you you're wrong in love, I'm not talking about an abusive parent or abusive boss. I'm not talking about somebody that's beating you down and condemning you, making you feel like a failure over and over again. That's not what I'm talking about. That is not what God is like. But in love, when somebody tells you that they're wrong, they are helping you with our kids, as we train them and train them and train them, right? There is discipline, there is consequences, there is responsibility, all of that. Kids are in a training program. And early on with kids, now they, 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 they get trained out of that. But early on with kids, when you get on them and you say, look, we're not gonna do that, that is wrong. And you go fix it right now. You have to raise your voice or you have to be stern with them. Early on, kids, especially the younger ones, will sulk. Sometimes they'll go do it. 
They'll maybe start to cry. They'll run and go find a corner. They'll get under a blanket. And you can't leave it like that. That's that, that's that worldly grief that leads to death. That's not helping anything. All you did was just beat them down. So you come in humility. And you say, come here. And you get down on their level. And you look them right in the eye. And you say, look, I ain't mad at you. It's all good. You're my guy. You're my girl. Look, you're, I love you. Daddy's proud of you. But we have to learn when we're wrong to correct that, acknowledge it. You throw trash out on the carpet, you're gonna have to fix it. Then give them a hug, you say I love you, and you say listen, when somebody gets on you, they're not beating you down, they're building you up. They're making you a better person. So you say yes sir, you know that I love you, you know that I'm for you, you know that I'm always gonna have your back. You say yes sir, you go do it, thanks for teaching me, and you keep running on being happy in your life. That's a huge difference. Godly grief to worldly grief, right here. In Christianity, if you get caught cheating on your wife and somebody says, you adulterer. Now, in love, in confidentiality, you know, in an office, I mean, I'm talking about doing this the right way, but says, dude, you're wrong, and you need to repent of that and turn back to God. That person loves you. That person cares for you more than whoever else is pushing you to go and do you. That is love, and it should be a godly sorrow that says, man, I am wrong. I am a fool. I've lost my way. I've become me-centered and not God-centered. There is a godly sorrow and there is a worldly sorrow. Job has come to godly sorrow. Because God had sent him through this suffering, Job had lost sight of God, been more focused on himself, forgot to trust God no matter what, with all of his heart, no matter what, through the ups and the downs, and now God has reminded him that he can trust him, that God is never gonna leave him, God is always with him. When God loves somebody, he loves them forever. You cannot fall out of the love of God, you cannot. And so you believe that forever, no matter what you're going through, and Job is reminded of this. But he's reminded of this, he's reminded of this by way of recognizing that he is wrong. Repentance recognizes us as wrong. Listen to the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 16, beginning of verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? These are the words of Jesus himself. He says, deny yourself. Take up your cross to die. He says, lose your life in order to find your life. The way we get God is by repenting from ourselves and our wrongness. Number one, repentance recognizes God as right. And number two, repentance recognizes us as wrong. 
So lastly, number three, much more simply, repentance turns away from sin and turns to God. Turns away from sin and turns to God. You see this very language used in Acts chapter 20, verse 21, when Paul is witnessing to the Ephesian church, the Ephesian elders, and he uses these words, and I quote, repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He uses a directional term toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So this is where a, a visual is so helpful. Okay, every one of us we're born from our parents. We grow up, and we're just trying our best in life, right? We're, we're on the journey, and one day our life will end. Who knows when? Life is certain and uncertain. Death is certain and uncertain. We don't know when. We don't know if we have 100 more years or whether we have 100 more days. We really don't know. We don't know if we're going to go to one of y'all's funeral tomorrow or this week or if it'll be 50 years from now. Nobody knows. We're all just living our lives with the influences that we have. We're going through life, right? Somebody takes us to church, somebody's a good teacher, you got a good mom, you're going through life. But every single person on this journey sins. Every single person in this room sins. Every old baby in the nursery will be sinning if they're not already. We all sin. And so what has to happen, okay, is repentance, turning. So on this journey of life that you're in, I'm having to dodge all these microphones. On this journey of life that we're in, we have to repent. And remember, repentance is turning away from sin and turning to God. This is not a 360. You know what a 360 is, right? A 360 is, man, I gotta make some changes. And then it just keeps going. A 360 is a full circle. And there's been many a people recognize how wrong they are and how bad their lives are and they think, I gotta make some changes. And so they try to make change over here and they try to make a change over here and they try to make a change over here. They may make a change over here and you see them a couple years later and guess what? They made some changes, but they're still going the same way. They never repented and found God. They never turned to Christ, never bowed their knee. They never despised themselves and repented of their sinful heart. Repentance is turning a 180. It is like this. And I'm not saying that this life going this way is all bad. You may be great at sports. You may be good in the classroom. You may be balling in the workforce. You may have lots of money. You may be doing so good at so many things. But you sin, and you need God's forgiveness. And so you need a 180-degree turn to turn yourself away from whatever's trying to satisfy you that will not and set your eyes on the God that made you, the God that's right, the God that's helping you see how wrong you are and believe in him and say, I want you, God. These things aren't doing it for me. They don't make me happy. You do, and I want you, and I believe that you love me, and you're the best thing for me, and you sent your son to die for me, so I'm gonna turn away from me, I'm gonna turn away from that, I'm gonna turn away from everything, and I'm gonna believe in you, Jesus. And you turn to him a 180. That's what repentance is. 
And everybody that does this 180 repentance still is in life, still struggles, still at times has a bad attitude, still speaks sharply to their kids at times. The parents have to teach their kids how to repent too because parents sin too. But that person knows that the solution is found in God who sent his son Jesus. He's the only answer. And so our lives are now marked because of a 180 turn. That's why we say things like, when did you come to know Christ? When did you get saved? How long have you been a believer? And the answer cannot be, well, I've always been. No, you have not always been. Nobody has always been a believer. If you have not repented of your sins and turned to him, you're not a believer. There's a lot of people on this journey, went to church, read the Bible, had some good influences, had a Christian mom or a good Christian friend in high school that I was always talking to them. And so you've got some stuff. You can tell me the Ten Commandments, but you're still going this way with all that me-centered spiritual life, and that's not it. It is repentance that turns. Job is so good at life. He is. He is so good at life. And he here hates himself and repents of his sin. So what was his sin? What was his sin? His sin was he was not trusting God in that suffering. He was not believing God to be all that God is in his moment of doubt. Job was not walking by faith when the walking got tough. Job was not believing God when it didn't make sense. Hebrews says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. Job was not believing by faith that God was his God when he couldn't see it. His sin that needed to be repented of was that the answer to life, God being the Savior, he had lost sight of. And so he rightly repents. In Acts chapter 11, the gospel is first going to the Gentiles. It's a, it's a new turn of event, events in the history of the world and in the Bible and in the book of Acts. And the Gentiles are now being saved. And they send one of the, one of the uh, disciples down there to see if this is true. And he gets there and he says, yes, it is. And he says in Acts chapter 11, verse 18, God has granted them repentance that leads to life. Repentance that leads to life? You mean recognizing that they're wrong and needing to confess it and turn away from it and all that in order to get life? Yes, yes, yes. That is the way. That is Christianity. Repentance that leads to life. And yet the world does not get this. They don't, they don't agree with us. In fact, not only is life found in repentance and admitting and confessing your wrongs, but not repenting, listen to me, not repenting will cost you your life. It will tear you down. It will eat you up. It will kill you. Listen to the words of Proverbs chapter 5, verse 23, in referring to one refusing to repent of sin. In Proverbs 5, it is sexual sin, but it applies to all sin. 
Proverbs 5, 23, he dies, dies for lack of discipline. Because of his great folly, he is led astray. Because he would not repent. Or listen to it again in Proverbs 7, 23. Again, sexual sin, although it could be any sin. Proverbs 7, 23, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Not repenting will kill you in your sins. But in your sins, which we all have, repenting and turning to God will save your soul will give you eternal life. There is everlasting life in repentance. There is a home for you in heaven, an eternal home. There is forgiveness of sins. There is an ever flowing fountain of living water for you to drink and be satisfied from for the rest of your life to which your soul and your heart on the inside will never be thirsty again because you have found that which your soul longs for, but only in repentance. Repentance from sin and repentance toward God. It's important here in closing for you to not disconnect the two. Faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. They are the same thing. Anytime you turn to something, you've turned away from something else. We repent of our sin and we turn to Christ. May you always by faith in Jesus, be a repenter, be somebody that repents. As often as we sin, may we repent. Job recognizes how right God is. Job recognizes how wrong he is, and so he repents. May you find a life, life, life in repentance. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Job's example for us. Thank you, dear God, that even he had to repent and so we can be learners from this. Father, we pray that you would remove pride from us, excuses from us, and that you would lead us to repent. Father, I pray that you would help us to repent now. That we would find you. God, help us now. In your name we pray, amen. If you know that you've never repented of your sins, if you know that you are in sin now and not repenting, do it. We usually don't make a big deal out of a big altar call and all that. But now would be the best time ever for you.
you come forward, let me know, and let me help you go to the Lord together. If you're not sure of your salvation in Christ, of the moment that you began to live a 180 turn to God, do it today. You will find life there. If you're ready to go public with I want to live for Jesus, let's repent now. As we sing this final song, let's respond. Sing a new
We're going to close this morning with Luke chapter 15. We will be resuming our uh, series on the Ten Commandments tonight. Uh, Austin Hammonds will be preaching to us on the Ninth Commandment. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. So invite everyone back for that. Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Amen.